you need to create a profit model around your business that actually encourages your vision to flourish. So you don't hit that point where you have to lose your vision after five or six years, where you end up in that choice point, those crossroads where you had to compromise everything because it just didn't work financially. So how can we build business models behind our vision in coffee? I think it needs to be a big part of the conversation. Welcome back to the Fifth Wave Podcast. I'm Jeffrey Young, Editor-in-Chief of Fifth Wave. In today's episode, we're speaking with Maxwell Colonna Dashwood, founder of Colonna Coffee, a boutique specialty coffee roaster and coffee shop in Bath and recently opened a new site in London. Maxwell is a three-time UK barista champion and a highly respected innovator in the world of coffee. Having written a number of industry-leading books, including Water for Coffee and The Coffee Dictionary, and he'll soon be releasing his new book entitled The Business of Specialty Coffee, a groundbreaking publication exploring the models and operating margins of businesses across the specialty coffee supply chain. We thought now would be the perfect time to sit down with Maxwell to find out about his new venture in London and what to expect from his latest book. So welcome, Maxwell. Ah, pleasure, Jeffrey. It's really nice to be here. Great to have you back on the show. So I hear you've just opened a coffee shop in central London. Uh, yeah, we've opened up a shop on Leather Lane. It's 14 years after we started our first shop in Bath. We spent a lot of time with the roastery, so this is our second shop. I was offered the site about four or five months ago and um, couldn't pass it up. People often ask me, why am I coming to London? It's, it's actually been on our radar for a long time. We're quite an international brand. We were actually due to open a more of like a takeaway model in Moorgate back in 2020. And... <laughs> luckily it wasn't binding (laughs) and I could get out of it when COVID hit. And I'm really glad it didn't happen because what we're doing in Clerkenwell now is just what we've done in Bath. We're not trying to do something completely different. We're actually going, oh, that thing we created 14 years ago, this journey of stripping away the menu that people are used to, um, to sort of challenge customers positively and create conversation around coffee. So get rid of the house coffee because that takes away a lot of the conversation. People just opt for the house coffee. That shop in Bath, like a lot of the stuff I've done, the water book and the research, it all comes from conversations in that shop. I truly believe shops are very special. And I just want to do the same thing in London that we've done in Bath. And then it's funny because I've been writing this book at the same time about the business of specialty coffee. And and you're writing it and I'm talking about how important physical spaces are to connect with a brand, especially as marketplaces become more saturated, etc. And as I'm writing, I'm like, I think I need another shop. As a business, you know, like thinking about the longevity of the business. And so it all made sense, really. And it's felt very natural to open in London. And we've had such an amazing welcome. And So you've opened in Leather Lane, quite a celebrated specialty coffee destination. Why that location? Yeah, I have to thank someone called Harry from Send, who was looking at the site himself, but couldn't take it and suggested I look at it. And this is the thing about sites. You know, someone says, I want to open X number of sites in X number of years. It's not our model. We're not a rollout. In fact, I think about my business much more as like a a few key iconic locations for customers to engage with the brand. But sites are the hardest thing to find, right? The right site. Especially when you're doing something which is not going to be driven as aggressively in terms of cups sold and profitability, but more about experience. You need the right location and the, the rent can't be too high, effectively. What we did in Bath, we're not in the main thoroughfare. You just need to be accessible. It's all word of mouth to me. That's still the strongest part of the marketing of boutique coffee. It's very old school, but I think it's very powerful. And then people need to hear about you and be able to get to you. 
this Leather Lane spot, this Clerkenwell Farringdon area is a, is a very accessible area. You've also got a lot of what I would say are our client base in the areas, the creative industries and yeah. technologies and architecture. And the fact that Proofrock's there is great. You know, I mean, we've had a lot of people opening in Bath and it's only been good for business. And I like to think there's a real community of businesses. There's Catalyst just down the road as well, another roastery. And I think there's a way to build a destination area. I mean, Proofrock have already done that, of course, but I think it, it works. It's symbiotic. And London in particular, just to access that international audience and metro audience... I mean, if you think about it, my Bath model makes more sense in London than it ever did in Bath, right? Because the more you do something boutique specialist, you actively appeal to a smaller audience, which I've always been absolutely happy with. I think often specialty coffee shops struggle. They want to do something very specialist, but also appeal to everyone. They're kind of mutually exclusive in a way. And so actually, often you find something that's a bit more of a specialist take on something ends up in a big cosmopolitan city where there's a much higher population density, lots of visitors. So I think London makes a ton of sense for us. Um, and the other thing from a coffee industry point of view is we've been doing our thing in Bath for a long time, but it is sort of us doing our thing. When you come to London, it, there's a whole industry here. There's the green importer offices, the equipment places, and people want to get together and do events. And so, yeah, London's an amazing place just as a city. And of course, it's a hub of uh, the coffee industry in the UK. So there's lots of good reasons to be here. You'd be trying to do anything different here in London than in Bath? They're very similar, actually. A lot of people walk into the shop and say how much similarity there is. And I think for our model, you know, trying to have a conversation with customers. And actually, my biggest challenge is nearly always with staff who are used to just serving. You know, the coffee industry model effectively is the Starbucks model, and specialty boutique shops are putting an indie specialty coffee version of that model. It, you know, it's the same menu, typically similar queuing, maybe some slight changes, right? And so the fact that we're trying to purposefully challenge that a bit with our experience means that the staff have to be more hosts than servers. That's what you're putting the energy into, but it's also slightly slower. You're not going to get through as many cups as places that are focusing purely on efficiency, right? You're not going to smash the takeaway in the same way. And so Bath doesn't have the takeaway opportunity London has, and it's more about people coming in to sit down. I think what we'll do more of in London is I think we'll do more retail coffee. And I see the space as a client interaction spot. I think Bath maybe will be a little bit more cafe and the London site will be more of a brand touch point with a bit more of a focus on retail. You've been pretty busy in those first few weeks. And I saw on socials that you're actually going to be opening an extra day. Was it originally going to be a five-day affair and now you're already six-day? I think in all honesty, it will go to seven for the type of brand we are. Our best business is at the weekends in Bath. And I think it will be the same here in London. The five days a week was more to start something which is contained. And a lot of it's about bandwidth, right? For all of us entrepreneurs, uh, we're often, we've got relatively small teams, lots of people doing a bunch of different tasks. And I think I've become more cognizant of that. Like, I have to think about my bandwidth. I have to think about how we work. Don't overstretch ourselves as a business. It's that idea of getting into a rhythm. We'll explore our opening hours. And I think we'll end up being open all seven days, Post-pandemic, it appears that everyone's feedback to me is the same. Monday and Friday is much quieter than they used to be. Tuesday to Thursdays are great. And I think if you've got a brand, which is more of a destination, you can, the weekends can become your strongest trading days. Is this the beginning of more sites in London or other parts of the country? I don't think so. But if I was to look at models of businesses, I mean, we've been around now. My original shop's 14 years old. The Roastery, 2015. So we're getting eight years there. And really, I'm questioning, like, how do I become a heritage brand that's relevant, right? It's, it's very easy to be new and relevant. Um, 
uh, more easier. And so over time, how do you become heritage? I look at someone like Monmouth going all that time with the Roastery Cafe, the two sites, strong online sales and everything, like a cohesive boutique brand. It feels like this shop's part of that journey rather than a move to a rollout. But I wouldn't ever say never to other sites, but I don't think that's my goal. Now, you've got a new book coming out. Where does it come out? It's self-published, entitled The Business of Specialty Coffee. It will come out probably sometime in November, I think. We're getting them all printed and bound, and they'll make their way over to us. So it's really exciting. I only came up with the idea, well, I have to give full credit to Darcy of Darcy's in Copenhagen. He's just written a book with his dad, who's a food writer. It's called Instant Coffee Shop. It's about getting a coffee shop open for a small budget in a couple of weeks. I reviewed a couple of chapters on water for him, and he came to Bath, and we sat down and talked about the business of coffee. And I had, you know, lots of strong opinions yeah. <laughs> about things that I felt were maybe typical narratives we hear and assume about the way the industry works, which often I think are coming from branding. So for a lot of us, a coffee company talks both into the industry and out to the customer about the way the coffee industry works to then tell you why their coffee is a solution to that industry business. And I think there's a lot of misconception. For me personally, you know, you get, I've always found business interesting, but I became more and more interested in business and you have to be, you're forced to be. And then it's actually a complex industry to figure out. You know, and just questions like, okay, well, what is the target profit? What is reasonable? What is the goal? And how are things really working all the way from farming, growing, importing, all these narratives we have, what do they really look like? And as me and him debated them, he said, look, I think this is your next book. You should write. And I thought, no, actually, that's a pretty good idea. And at the time I was doing a bit less and I thought, yeah, I'll take that on. And I thought this would be about a 40,000 word book on really just the basic economics and operations of coffee businesses. And then it just spiraled because you can't really talk about some of these topics without talking about other topics, you know, like macroeconomics. You talk about the sea market, talk about the legacy of colonialism, talk about branding. It just They get bigger and bigger and bigger. And at some point, you're just going to have to say, right, I'm going to finish and write this book. But it ballooned from 40,000 words to 130,000 words. But it's been a great project. And there's a famous saying, you know, when a teacher's, teaches a pupil, two people learn, right? And it's the same with the book. When you actually got to write it down, it forced me to really study the supply chain in a way I never have. And in a way, the book's a bit of journalism, which I hope there are lessons in there about how to run sustainable, successful coffee businesses. This, this seems very fifth wave, actually, in terms of like our sort of mantra, the, the business of coffee, yours is the business of specialty coffee, mm-hmm. professionalizing an industry. There's a lot of people that are into specialty coffee because they're just into coffee. Yeah, passionate about the... And is this about a maturity of an industry now and helping this industry to to flourish by yeah, th- a different take, a more business-like approach? Absolutely. I mean, it's interesting, right? Because a lot of creative people who are drawn to coffee in some way, or it could be like engineering people, it's, it's just very curious-driven people, I think, are drawn to specialty coffee and you develop a passion for this complex drink. And often those people, we don't identify as pure business people, right? And there's a a great book called Atomic Habits about building habits. And one of the things in that book is about identity. So to build a habit has to be part of your identity. If you don't go to the gym, but you'd like to go, your, your current identity is someone who doesn't go, but who would like to go. And if you start going, your identity changes. You are now someone who goes to the gym. And I, I've said this about bottom line thinking and that in the underlying industries behind coffee, which are agriculture, finance, logistics, food manufacturing, and retail, and hospitality, they're all 
pretty challenging industries, like highly competitive, relatively low barriers to entry, really. And I think you need to make bottom line thinking part of your identity as a business owner in in coffee. And then just back to your point there, my father's a sculptor and there's always this tussle between art and commerce, especially for artists. You know, they don't want to do commissions, they just want to create. And I think there's a tussle for a lot of people who got into specialty coffee when maybe there was like a subconscious idea that they were opting out of getting a real job or working in a real industry. And it was all going to be wonderful to follow their passion. And several years in only to realize that in fact in coffee it's just as important and in some cases more important to be aware of the business side and right at the end of the book i have a little talk to myself the younger me Mm -hmm. as in what would i tell me and i say you need to really focus on thinking about building a profit in here for the things you haven't yet decided you want to do that the ideas you haven't yet had because it was very easy to go okay i'm going to open up and i'm just i need to make this happen i'm just thinking about today or tomorrow and I can make it work. Of course, it has to be sustainable. And the younger me would probably get impatient with the older me and say, oh, yeah, yeah, I know I need to not lose money. I know it needs to be sustainable. And I'm sort of saying we need to go a step further. You need to create a profit model around your business that actually encourages your vision to flourish. So you don't hit that point where you have to lose your vision after five or six years, where you end up in that choice point, those crossroads where you go, oh, we started off to do this, but we've had to compromise everything because it just didn't work financially. So how can we build business models behind our vision in coffee? I hope that's one of the takeaways from the book. I think it needs to be a big part of the conversation we all have in coffee. And I hope my book contributes to that conversation. Just to really understand this bottom line thinking, are we, are, 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 is this mean the bottom line of the business in a financial point of view, or is there something deeper to that? I think the bottom line is deeper in that you can't achieve your vision if you don't have a sustainable bottom line, right? Right. And actually, you know, you look at some very large, successful coffee companies who are doing more from an impact point of view because they're profitable. Mm. You know how it is uh, being involved in charities. And if there isn't the budget there, there isn't the budget there, right? Mm. So how do you tie whether your impact vision, your cultural goals, how do you allow them to be integrated with being a profitable business? Well, I'm super excited to read it. I've been lucky enough to have a quick flick through the table of contents and it looks fascinating. What else can we expect? I've sort of broken the book into eight parts and then multiple chapters in each part. And really what I wanted to do is, you know, you say the business of specialty coffee, but that title's supposed to be slightly triggering, right? Because like I said before, a lot of people are like, don't want to see it as a business. But also specialty is a term. If we're going to use the point scoring term, Starbucks, Nespresso, everybody big and small, there's lots of companies buying and using specialty coffee. So I really define at the beginning of the book that what I'm really going to talk about is boutique specialty. So SMEs and indies and that whole space that we often refer to as this sort of third wave independent business movement. Then I pop into the second part of the book is about levers. So when I was trying to write this book, some people are like, oh, you just can't. It's too big a topic. And they're right. It is a huge topic and the book will fall short and there'll be things I get wrong and I can't cover everything. But I still think it's worth trying to broach that subject and have that conversation. And so the levers idea is that it doesn't matter where you are. Farming coffee, importing, all the business levers are the same. They're just getting pulled a lot more in one business. So for a green trader, they're really a bank. Access to finance and managing money is much bigger concern for them than a coffee shop. I don't want anyone to say it's the wrong way, but I actually think coffee shops are the simplest from a pure business point of view in that, you know, get the right site, get your gross profit, get your margins right and get your product proposition right. And then really the challenge of that, I see it as putting on a theater show every day. That's the challenge. How do you deliver an exceptional experience every day 
And that is a business challenge, but it's not in the same way a challenge like managing the cash flow and the project management required upstream with those other businesses. From a coffee farming point of view, you're really investing money way back before seeing a return on it. And so this is my sort of point. You can start to have a conversation once you discuss the levers and say, well, how do they apply to a coffee farmer? How do they apply to a small coffee farmer or someone with more land? And that's the second part of the book. Third, we look at wider market forces. So we're all in a globalized market now, a neoliberal globalized market. So we're all affecting each other. So there's all those big topics, government policy, all these kind of things. I then go on to talk about branding and marketing. I talk about a big topic, the idea of values in coffee, like what what do we think we're achieving from a values point of view with specialty coffee? Then I try and take all of that and bring it back in part seven to business by business. Okay, with all of that in mind, let's look at each of the businesses in the supply chain. Just to be clear, the book really is focusing on businesses that handle the bean. So you also have businesses that orbit the bean, loads. You know, yeah. Coffee machine manufacturers is a great example. They are a coffee company. They just make products for coffee. And at the end, I come back to like, I'm not a massive one for predictions and trying to guess the future. But I kind of try to do a little bit of that at the end of the book from a business point of view. What are some of the questions that you're kind of asking at the end of the book? We're, we're all affected effect by the supply chain, right? Whether it's somebody farming coffee, and then that goes all the way through, right? We're all working with the same ingredients. So this macroeconomic trends are definitely something that people are trying to figure out. We're obviously talking a lot about climate change and in Latin America in particular, and that's often what happens with the coffee conversation. When we talk about farming, there's often a lot, big narrative around Latin America, but then, of course, it's very different in Africa or Indonesia or other growing regions. And so one of those narratives there is about, is there a divergence coming? You know, I, um, a friend of mine, Stephen Dick, he was part of Virgin Active before they sold, and now he's a commercial director at Third Space Gyms, so yeah. extremely successful yeah. in London. And, and so his, his talk was post-2008 financial crash, when we see these inflation and challenging economic times, the super boutique premium can continue to do very well and flourish. And then the sort of lower priced mass can do extremely well. And it's the middle that just dies, right? And so there's a little bit of this conversation in coffee farming is, are we moving to a similar area? And, you know, without giving all the answers to the book, I kind of think there's a strong answer we are. But, but these are the kind of questions we're asking is like, what are the right economic models? And there isn't one, you know, each business will be looking at, you know, does it focus? Does it diversify? You know, post-COVID, everyone's pro-diversified business, but that brings more stress potentially. And these are the questions that everybody's trying to figure out. Hopefully there's some answers and hopefully we can improve the questions that are being asked. Well, sounds like a fascinating book. Where's it going to be available? I'm just going to sell it off of my own uh, Shopify website where I'll also sell the other books I've done, maxwelldashwood.com. And I'll work with different distributors uh, around the world as well. And it'll be obviously available at your new coffee shop in, in Leather will. Lane? You can, you can pick up a signed coffee in store in Leather Lane for sure. I'm really excited to see what people think, you know, what people disagree with or, 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 or what people take from it. And one final question for you, is there anything you learned from the process of writing this title that didn't know before? I hope by some of the other answers I've given you, it's clear that I learned a lot and I'm still learning, you know. I think for me as a business owner and operator, it definitely helped me clarify some of my strategy or what, what I think we're about, our why and our how and our who. And it helped me make some decisions about what I want to do in coffee and what I want to do with my businesses. But I also learned like, that there's a lot of questions that are unanswered that we're going to have to find out together as an industry. As every project I do in coffee, I was really pleased by and uh, you know, excited by the fact that we are unique as an industry, I think, in that community approach to trying to do good things and run better businesses and have more impact. So I think I felt very positively about coffee as an industry after writing the book. 
Maxwell, thanks for joining us here today on Fifth Wave. And that's all for this week's Fifth Wave podcast. Please subscribe to Fifth Wave wherever you get your podcasts. And if you've enjoyed this show, please recommend us to a friend or colleague. And if you want to stay informed, visit worldcoffeeportal.com to get access all the latest global coffee news, including the weekly coffee dose, our newsletter collecting all the big news stories of the week in coffee. And to pre-order Maxwell's latest book, head to maxwelldashwood.com. Links are in the show notes. This episode was recorded in the one and only Serendipity Studios in glorious Camden, North London. It was produced by myself, Jeffrey Young, had a heat and sound engineering by Chris Bristow. And this week's song, in collaboration with the Coffee Music Project, is In Love Again by Paul Mal. And until next time, stay safe, stay passionate, and stay caffeinated. Just for the moment.